Well, good morning. Early morning. Rainy morning. Time change morning. (laughs) This is awesome. We could like huddle. This would be great. This is the first time we've ever done an early service on Spring Forward, so... Congratulations, you guys are the rock stars. You are uh, together, you're with it, and you're up early. So thanks for being here. We're excited about you being here and what God wants to do today. And we are in a series called Be the Church. We're talking about what does it look like to go from just going to church, playing church, to being the church. Jesus said we, he wants us to be the church. In fact, last week we said we are the church. The church isn't a service. The church isn't a building. The church is its people. And so you and I are the church. In order to be something, you got to do more than just give lip service to it. We know that because uh, we, we, could, we could probably we have so few. We could just poll everybody. We could just ask individually and say, wouldn't you love to be better off financially than you are today? I don't think anyone in here would say, no, I, don't, I think I'm good. I got all the money I need. Every one of us would love to be in better shape financially, but we don't always are willing to make the decisions that are required to do that. Um, Things like cutting back and and giving up $4 cups of coffee, that's hard to do. Um, Whether that's uh, finding extra work or overtime and and, and, um, increasing your income that way. Whether that's going back to school. That just sounds awful saying it going back to school in order to get a different degree to do something different. So there's decisions that would lead to us being in a better shape financially, but we're not always willing to make those decisions. It's easy to say we want something, but it's another thing entirely to pay the price to get there, isn't it? I see it at the gym every year, and it's, it's this time. I've been a member at Anytime Fitness for a long time. And in January, February, March, I saw them. I mean, I couldn't get on the treadmill. There were so many people in the gym this week. I had to do the row machine, and I hate the row machine. But I promise you by this summer, almost all those new faces will be gone. And it'll be back to the same dudes I work out with all the time. I can tell you this for me personally, last year I set a goal. I wanted to be a learner. I wanted to be a leader that was always increasing my wisdom and knowledge. And so I set a goal to read a book a month in 2017, 12 books. I read eight. I read eight books last year. I fell woefully short. Actually, I was pretty much on pace and then football season hit. (laughs) And that's where the wheels came off. It was awful. I've been in, I was in the same book for four months. And then the holidays came, and my Netflix subscription, I had uh, Stranger Things to watch, and I had uh, Longmire to catch up on, and I looked at the book, and I looked at the Netflix, and it was so easy to just simply pick something else other than what I said I wanted to be. Most of us here would say, I want to be the church. I want to be a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. I want our church to represent Jesus Christ in our community and towards each other in such a way that we are being the church. But I've just got to ask for myself personally, do I really mean that? And are we willing to do what's necessary to be the church? 
Well, we're going to look in the book of Acts chapter 4. While you're turning there, I want to point your attention, and we're going to be looking at that church as an example for us to be the church. But you should have gotten a couple invite cards in your packet that you received. Listen, this is a great tool to bring somebody with you for Easter time. I know you've seen the billboards and the road signs, and listen, we've done all that, and those are good things. I hope those churches have an awesome attendance at Easter. But we just believe that your personal invite to someone you know, that you personally invite them to come, that this has such great power to, to see someone come to a church service and God radically change their life. So can I challenge you uh, as the church and being the church that you'll use these and you'll invite some folks to come with you. One side has the time for our Good Friday service. The other time has our Sunday morning service times on there. Now, uh, Acts chapter 4. We looked at Acts chapter 2. Now we're looking at Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 30, 32. And um, this is a beautiful picture of what the church ought to be. It's the original church in Jerusalem that Jesus left behind when he ascended to heaven. And it says this. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. It's a beautiful picture of what the church is and ought to be and what it means to be the church. And it really reflects the three decisions that none of us would regret making that I want to challenge us with us this morning. And the first decision is simply this, that you and I would decide it's about we and not me. If we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, there's decisions that we all make. And this first one is key. It's not about, it's not, it's about we and not me. Rick Warren's famous book, Purpose Driven Life, starts with the greatest opening of any book. It says, it's not about you. I got a little offended when I read that. I needed to be. He's saying this very thing. Listen, this, your purpose in life is way bigger than just yourself. And I say, well, who is it about then? Colossians 1 says that everything was made by him and for him. Your life, my life, this church, it all exists for one purpose, and it is for him. It's for the glory of God. We just sang about the glory of God. And if it's about God, and this church and your life is about him, then that means we put him first and we defer to others second and we have this we mentality and not a me mentality. Listen, you got to think about this. In Acts chapter 4, that Jerusalem church, it says they were of one mind and heart. That means they didn't have division and they didn't have competing agendas in the church about what they were trying to do. They were one accord. Now, it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean they didn't have difficult situations. It didn't mean they didn't have difficult people. It didn't mean they didn't have difference of opinions or problems or conflicts or even sin issues in the lives of its members. You got to understand this group is just like us, guys. They had all those things. But when it says they were in one heart and mind, it means they were willing to defer their personal preferences to the greater good of the body and the greater good of the cause of Christ. And they said, it's more important that we get what God wants 
then I get what I want. It's a we is greater than me mentality. You know, you think about it. In this room right here, what binds us together as a church and followers of Jesus Christ so far outweighs anything that would seek to divide us. What we have in common and the things we share in Christ are so much greater than and more important than the little things that would seek to divide us as a church. So what a necessary step in the growth process in our lives and in maturing as a disciple of Christ and you and I being the church is that we shift. The question stops becoming what is best for me to what is best for us. It's a daily occurrence in my life, especially in my home, in a family situation. Would you guys agree? Do you have to wrestle with this question every day of your lives? For me, it's usually the dishes. And so if that's my pile, the pile of dishes in the sink, I'll do a couple flybys. And I'll think, man, I'm sure I hope someone do those dishes right there. And then you're doing you know, another run to the, grocery, to the refrigerator. And you go, man, I did them last time. Who's going to do them this time? And you just kind of keep you know, hoping and praying that some magic you know, power out of the universe is going to do the dishes for you. But a me mentality would not do the dishes. A we mentality says, listen, uh, my kids are busy and they're, they're in practices and my wife's working and she's running kids everywhere. And a we mentality is, listen, I would probably much rather do ministry work or I'd probably much rather um, uh, relax and catch up on Netflix. But the we mentality need, is, says, listen, I just need to do my part. Take one for the team. We see it in our families. We, we have this opportunity to choose we over me there. We have an opportunity to choose it in the church. See, this idea is always fleshed out in relationships, isn't it? <clears throat> I can promise you one thing. You'll never have to wrestle with this we versus me thing if you just pop into church and never get involved and you never know anyone and you never have to rub shoulders and serve with each other and do small group with each other. It's the easiest thing in the world to not wrestle with this problem if you're not involved. It's when you start rubbing shoulders with each other is where these issues come out. Am I going to defer to someone else? We see it in our small groups. Um... We, we, we get in community with each other, and we love each other, and we're growing with each other, and we share life with each other, and we laugh and cry together, and then our group gets bigger and bigger, and it gets so big, like we got to make room for new people because we believe everyone should be in a community group because everyone needs community and share life together, and we go, but we don't want to birth a new group. We'll, we'll miss each other. Like they're going to move to Antarctica or something. <laughs> And we have such problems saying, listen, it's not about me, but it's about we. This is going to be fun. You see it in every single church when it comes to the music. Every single church I have ever been in, this becomes an issue when it comes to the music that we play on a Sunday morning. I mean, we all have our personal preferences, we all have music we like and don't like, artists, genres, songs. Back in my day, if you didn't like a song and you're listening to it, remember the cassette tapes? I have to fix them every once in a while. 
If you, wanted to ch- if you didn't like a song on that tape, you'd have to get up, go over to the tape deck, and remember that? And then stop and play. Oh, shoot, the song's not over yet. Oh, I went too far. Reverse. You know, it was a pain. So you let, you know what? I'll just ride this song out. It wasn't worth it. Today, man, we got CDs, we've got pop into the next one, we got iTunes and Spotify and Pandora, and we can, if we listen to a song we don't like, shame on us, right? Because it's so easy to get exactly what you want. You're on Pandora and I don't like that song, thumbs down. I don't want to ever hear that one again, Pandora. And they listen to you. It's amazing. It's like magic and you never hear that song again. And then we get into church, and there's you know, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and 100,000 Christian songs, and we only get to do about 15 or 12 songs a month together. And you go, man, I didn't like that song. That didn't speak to me, man. What are we doing with that song? Man, we are so used to listening to what we want. But when this we, not me mentality plays into what we do on Sunday mornings, I want you to understand something. Cassidy and Ann and the creative team take very serious uh, a couple things. One is we want our music to point people to Jesus Christ and the resurrection and the power and that life that comes through him. And we would say this, we want songs that relate to people that may not be comfortable in church or grown up in church, and they come to church, and the music sounds like the music that they are used to listening to, and, and it may not even be the stuff that us more mature, been in church all of our life kind of people have heard, but we're the ones that ought to be saying, but it's not about me, it's about we. And so I'll defer the music to the unbeliever or new believer or someone that's trying to figure it out, someone that's seeking, because it's not about me. I was thinking about this. Man, we have so many examples of people that have, that have made this shift, have decided, you know what? My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. I want to honor God with everything I do. I can look around the room and I see a bunch of you. I want to brag on Todd Thomas right now, though, because he's in the preschool room. You may have a kid in there. And he said, listen, I'm going to serve in children's ministry And he has done it faithfully for months now. And that wasn't because he just loves kids so much. Although he's got a bunch of them at home. (laughs) He loves the Lord so much. He loves your kids when they get checked in there. Because he loves the Lord so much. He's saying, what can I do to serve the kingdom of God so that we can be a better church, that we can be the church that Jesus Christ intended us to be? And there's been multiple Sundays this year where he served in both services because we didn't have all the volunteers. He said, listen, I, I don't choose it, but I got it. I got it. Man, that's a, that's a, that's a wee mentality he's got. All the believers were of one heart and of one mind. You only get there when you decide, listen, it's not about me. What brings Christ the most glory? Now, I want you to also point, uh, point to another phrase. It says this, no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. So if we can just pass the basket and get your keys, uh, cars, houses, that's fine. That doesn't work today, does it? <laughs> The guests are like, we are out of here so fast. <laughs> now, the, the idea may not be the same, but the, certainly the principle is. 
What is the principle here? They had made a decision. They had already decided. Flip to the next one here. It's all his, not mine. To be the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to make a decision. This is either my stuff or this is his stuff. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their, what does it say? Their own. That's not my house. That's his house. That's not my car. That's his car. That's not my bank account. That's his bank account. That's not my stuff. It's his stuff. And that is such a shift in this world to go from, listen, God, I'm the owner. I'm the one that made it. I'm the one who bought it. I'm the one who keeps it up. To go from an owner mentality to a manager mentality. Can I just ask you, how do you see your stuff? Is it your stuff or is it, is it his stuff? If it's your stuff, you will hold on to it and, and begrudgingly let it slip through your fingers. But if you realize it's his stuff and you embrace that it's his stuff, you will recognize that God gives you what he gives you for three purposes. He gives you what he gives you so that you will have enough to provide for you and your family. And God also gives you what he gives you so that you can enjoy what he gives you. Don't you aren't you glad that it's more than just getting by? He wants to be the abundant God who gives far beyond what we need. So when he took the bread and he took the fish and he multiplied it, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Why did God do that? Because he loves to give his children more than they need so he wants you to enjoy your your things that he gives you his stuff that he gives you but the third purpose he gives you the reason he gives you what you give he gives you is so that it can be used for his purposes his purposes those are the three reasons God gives you everything that he gives you not one not two it's all three can I tell you, this is the, one of the hardest things about living in Western culture today. We live in such a greedy society. It creeps into my heart and my mind all the time. I'm sure it is yours too. And so we've got to fight against this idea of greed. It's in every single one of us. If you ask somebody that makes $25,000, how much money would you need to be happy and content? Guess what they would say? $30,000. And if you ask somebody that makes 50000 how much would you need to really be content and set in your finances? They'd probably say sixty. And if you ask someone that makes $100, they would say 120 It's always just a little bit more than we are making today. I mean, that's natural. That's normal. That's part of our nature. But if you believe this book, then you've got to recognize our nature is flawed. It describes it as a sin nature, that it may be normal to think that way, but it's not spiritual. It's not godly to think that way. The godly way to view everything he's given you is say, listen, it's not even mine anyway. It's his. It's his. To be the church of Jesus Christ, man, we can grow in our generosity it means that we look to God as the owner and the provider, and that we are simply the managers of all that he possesses. You want to grow spiritually? If you want to grow spiritually, I mean, I'm for reading the Bible, I'm for praying, I'm for all these different spiritual disciplines, but if you really want to grow in your spiritual life, learn to give God 
a portion of what he gives you. If you really want to grow, man, that's where a rubber will meet the road. Billy Graham, who just passed away a couple weeks ago, said, the last thing for God to convert in a man or woman's heart is their wallet. <laughs> and it's true. If you want to grow, give. If you want to be free from worry in your finances or with your children or your future or your health, learn to trust God in your finances. Why would I say that? Because to me, that's the easiest thing to trust God for. My kids, I don't know how they're going to turn out. So far, so good. But they're only 16, 14, and 13. God help me. Pray for me. There are so many unknowns and variables that are awaiting them. I can only prepare them so much, and I have to say, God, I'm going to trust you with those precious souls. I don't know how they're going to turn out, and I'm praying that they would follow Jesus their whole life, and there's just so much that's left up to them, and i got to trust God. But here's the thing. With my finances, it's just me and God. I can decide to be generous and give back to him, and I can trust him with my finances. And just like David, who stood before Goliath and said, I'm not scared of you. In fact, you better be scared because I've got God on my side, and I know I'm going to win this battle because I've won the other battles. You remember that? So when it comes to trusting God and being free from fear and free from worry, when we win this battle in our finances and generosity— it gives us the confidence to face the other Goliaths in our life and said, I'm not scared anymore about my kids or my future or my health or whatever life may throw at me because God has been faithful in this thing. That's his. It's not mine. Those aren't my kids. Those are his kids. This isn't my body that will break down one day. This is his vessel. It's all his. And then it says, not only do they say it's, it's not my own, they said they, it says they shared everything they had. Man, you don't get there by thinking it's yours. You, you don't do that. It, here's what I wrote down. Generosity is always preceded by a change in ownership. Generosity is always preceded by a change of ownership. When you and I decide, yep, it's his, not mine, then we'll say, listen, I'll share what I have to whomever may need it. I was talking with one of our elders, Corey, yesterday, and he said, man, he's like, I hate spending money on certain things. But he says, man, my favorite check to write every month is when I get to write a check to the Lord at, at church. He says, my favorite check to write is when I get, this, I get to take some of this stuff that is sinful and draws people away from God. I get to use it for the glory of God. It's my favorite check. And I would agree with that. That's, I have two favorite checks, to Crossroads, and then I write one every month to Holt International. And there's a little boy in Cambodia named Heat. I, I didn't know if it was just hot there, and they named him Heat. I don't know. His name's Heat. And for, for months now, see, what happened is our kids went to Winter Jam. I guess it's been a year because they went to Winter Jam last year, and they came home with this thing, and no one had assigned it to anyone. That's, I guess the pastor's taking it. <laughs> and we adopted Heat, and we get to send money to this kid, and we get little updates on Heat. And, man, I love writing that check every month because it's going to the purposes of God. Can I tell you? 
we did a, a little bit of review of last year and where we were financially. This was encouraging to me. We sent out 140 end-of-year giving statements at Crossroads Church. 140 people gave at some point in, to our church last year. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? Praise God for that. 140 different giving units, you call it. But the other thing that concerned me a little bit was this. 20 families in our church are responsible for 70% of the giving in our church. And they're given, and they're given sacrificially and faithfully. And can I tell you, there's more than 20 families that are given sacrificially and faithfully to our church. But I got to believe that as we shift from that's not mine, it's his, that that number will and should grow if we're going to be the church God intended us to be. Got a question for you. Anybody in this room know the name Charlene Ritchie? Charlene Ritchie. You guys do. Three people. Charlene hasn't been at a church service in Crossroads in two, three years, minimum. I think the school, she came a couple times. Charlene's a nurse. She works, I think, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. That's her whole week. And so she's never here. She's never here. She doesn't get any of the benefits of being a part of Crossroads Church. But can I tell you, every month last month, that last year, she sent online giving to our church. She's a single mom raising two little boys, and she's faithfully giving to the cause of Christ. Why? Because she knows it's not about her, it's about we, and it's not hers, it's his. That's powerful. I was humbled by that. Wow. Third thing I want to share with you, it says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. God's Grace. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Here's the decision. If you and I are going to be the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to decide it's about relationships and not about being right. It's about relationships. Where is grace given? It's in the context of relationships. So what do I mean by grace? I want you to think about this. The best definition I can give you of grace is getting what you do not deserve. Grace is you and I getting what we do not deserve. And God's grace was at work powerfully in them and among them. Here's why. Because they had first experienced the grace of God. Knowing that in their brokenness and humanity that they did not measure up to a holy God. And they stood condemned before him. And they deserved punishment and even hell. And yet by the grace of God, the mercy of God, that he chose to, to come as a man and, and take human likeness and take all of our sin and shame upon him. And he bore it on a cross so that you and I might be given freedom and forgiveness in Christ and we would be treated better than we deserve. We deserve punishment and judgment. And by the cross of Christ, we get freedom and life and eternal life. That's grace. And they had embraced the grace of God. And because the grace of God was so active and powerful in their life, they shared it with each other. I think sometimes we're, we're hoarders. Grace hoarders. I, you ever watch those shows? Those scare the heck out of me. When the people, you can't even walk through the house because they got little paths of junk everywhere. That's scary. Man, we got houses full of grace. 
We've got lives full of grace, and it is packed. It's overflowing the windows of our house, and we want to hang on to grace, and we want to show judgment, and we want to show condemnation, and we want to talk bad about people, and we want to gossip about people, and we want to shoot our wounded. And God says, no, no, no. Let the grace of God powerfully work in you so much that you share it with other people around you. When somebody lets you down, you say, you know what? I acknowledge that, but I love you anyway. When somebody uh, drops the ball, you say, hey, you dropped the ball, but you know what? I'm still your friend. And, I'm, and you encourage, and you're kind, and you're accepting because the grace of God is so powerfully work within you. I just wonder... I wonder if you've experienced a, a, an environment of grace. You don't find this very often in the corporate world or the, or the schools or the business world. You do your job and you get a reward, and if you don't do your job, you get punished. That is the world we live in. Would you agree? The only source of grace in this world is Jesus Christ. Everyone else wants to treat you as you deserve or worse than you deserve, yet grace says, I'll treat you better than you deserve. Even in the church of God, I, I, I hope it's not true of this church, even in the church of God, we want to treat people according to what their sins deserve and bring judgment and condemnation on people. When this ought to be an environment of grace and say, you had a bad week, man, I, I'll pray for you. You screwed up in your life. Let me love you and help you get corrected. Even in our families, we don't often show grace. Say, so you know what? You, you did. You blew it. But I love you anyway. You know what? You blew it. And so instead, of you, not, you forgot to take the trash out, son. I took it out for you. Now, next week, I want you to do it. But that's Grace. I wonder how many of us have truly experienced an environment of grace. I was talking to somebody yesterday at I Serve Ministries, and they live in Jefferson, and they don't have a church, and they're tatted, and they're, you know, they, they just looked apart, man. I was like, you guys got to come to Crossroads. Our motto is no perfect people allowed. We know we're busted. We know we're broken. We know we're in need of grace. And if you know that too, you need to come and be a part of our church because we're all in this boat together. Can I tell you, if I get to know you for very long, this is a pastoral confession. I've done this long enough, 11 years now. I can usually spot people that have never been in an environment of grace. It doesn't take me long. If you've if never been in a, in a small group or a church where people love and, and pray for each other and care for each other and are for each other and cheer each other on and encourage each other, then your questions are, what, what's in this for me? You're concerned about your convenience? Those are often complainers and gossips and they don't play well with one another and each other? But when somebody experiences grace, they love giving it to other people. 
when they've seen other people treat them with grace, they say, who can I treat that way too? It doesn't mean we don't ever stand up for right or wrong or call people out or help correct them. There's times and places for that. But we have so deviated to the side of judgment and and truth and and hard-nosed Christianity that our world and even our churches need a breath of grace. Can I tell you, in 11 years, this has been the hardest lesson for me as a pastor at this church? Because parish knows, as a pastor, you you get wounded and hurt by people that come and go through a church. And I was kind of prepared for that, but my wife wasn't. And in 11 years, she has gotten close to several people, and then those people have hurt her and said things about her and been nasty and left. And my wife's not perfect, but she is an angel. She's a sweetie. And it's hurt her. And so we've had to read a book together. It's called uh, It's Not Personal and the Knots Crossed Out. Because planning a church, it's personal. Leading a church, it's personal. And I'm watching God renovate her heart where there was bitterness and resentment towards people that had hurt her. God's breaking those things down. And we didn't host anything in our house for several years because she didn't want to do that again. She didn't want to get too close. Can I tell you, last year we started a small group in our home again. And she said, you know what? It's worth being hurt. It's worth people letting you down. It's worth grace overcomes it all. And she's willing to show grace once again. Guys, I want want you to go ahead and pull out your connection cards. Because it's easy to agree. Yeah, I want to be more about others than myself. Yeah, I I know I need to be more generous and God owns it all. Yeah, and I know I need to show grace in my relationships. I want us to bring it to brass tacks right now. Whether this is in your family or the context of your church family, here's what I want you to think about. Would you be willing to decide that you want to be someone that is selfless? That you want to put uh, Jesus first, and that means putting others ahead of yourself. And here's, if you want to check that box, here's what I want it to mean. If you're going to say, I'm going to intentionally serve someone in my family this week and show that it's not about me, it's about them. It's not about myself, it's about the good of our family. You check that box. Or if you say, listen, I'm ready to jump in and start serving other people in the local church, and I want you to contact me about, listen, it's not about me anymore. I want to be a part of the we. I want to serve others in our church. You check that box. Second decision you may want to make is decide to be generous, to, to give, to say, listen, this isn't mine, this is, this is his. And, and find the pleasure of giving away your resources for the kingdom work, giving away part of what God has given you, that you would have the joy that Corey has of writing a check each month and going, listen, this is fun. This is why we're here. In fact, if you check that box, I want you to know, I want to send you a little book called The Treasure Principle. We'll pay for it. We'll give it to you. It's a beautiful book about how everything, it's small, it's teeny. You can read it in two hours. Everything belongs to him. Third decision is put grace ahead of being right. Put put grace and the relationships in your life ahead of you getting your way or you making a point. And what I want this to mean for us today is simply this. If you have conflict with someone in your life, 
If you're in conflict, you're not speaking to someone, you don't like talking about someone, you go the other way when you see someone, whether that's in your family or your office or in this church, then what I want that to mean today, what God would say to us is the grace was so powerfully at work in them that they came humbly and admitting, if you have 1% of the fault, you admit your 1% of the fault, and you say, listen, I want this relationship restored. It's not about me getting my way or me proving a point. I want to be right with you again. And the grace of God would transform that relationship. Last thing I want to point out before we pray. This idea of grace. It's a beautiful thing. And yet we're starved for it and we long for it. And in this world, we can't find it. But in a relationship with God, I mentioned it earlier, Jesus Christ come, came to show us grace. That the Father was not counting our sins against us. That he wants to love us despite our sin because his son, Jesus Christ, died a death on the cross that paid for your sins. If you've never experienced the grace of God and known that you are forgiven and free in Christ, and you said, listen, I still think God is weighing me on a scale, and if I do more good than bad, then maybe I'll be okay with him. Listen, that's not the way it is. God's grace has come to destroy the scale and to give us life. If you need to experience that grace today, I want you to pray with me. If we'll bow our heads and close our eyes. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for grace. That the holy, powerful, creator, sustainer, God is willing, that you are willing to not judge us according to what we deserve. God, if that was what this life was all about, we would all stand condemned. And yet, because of your mercy and grace, you're willing to, to make an offer to us. Because Jesus Christ died in our place and he rose from the dead. He now has eternal life available that he will give to anyone who asks. If they acknowledge they need grace. If they acknowledge they can't earn it before you. If you're ready to experience the grace of God today, I want you to... Why don't you slip your hand up? Nobody's looking around. Say, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God to show grace to me. I want his forgiveness for me. If that's a desire of your heart, pray with me and say, God, I, I realize I can't. I won't. I'm unable to please you apart from Jesus Christ. And I believe his sacrifice is sufficient. What he did on the cross for, is for me. And I receive Jesus into my life. I want to follow him. I ask for your forgiveness, your leadership, and the new life that Jesus brings. And God, for all of us in this room, we, we long to be the church that you created. God, I, I tell you for myself personally, I long to be more generous. God, I long to be more gracious in my relationships. God, I long to be less selfish in my life. 
And those things can only happen by the Spirit of God so moving in our heart, God, that we want to be different and change as we follow your leadership. So God, those in this room want to just cry out to you and say, God, would you change me from the inside out? Make me more like you. Help me to be the church. In Jesus' name, amen.